0: The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I want to talk to you today about um, an aspiration that many people in life have when you turn on TV, when you look at the news, if you pick up a a magazine, uh, and it has to do with people's um, pursuit of greatness, at least pursuit of greatness the way they perceive greatness to be. And I want to talk to you about greatness today. I want to talk about stepping into greatness because I believe the Lord wants you to be great in the way he sees greatness. Now, a lot of people have their own view of greatness, and it might not be God's view, but God wants you to be great at everything he's called you to do, everything he's equipped you for, everything he's gifted you with. Uh, and the opportunities he has in front of us, he wants to step into he wants us to step into greatness. I really uh, believe that. Now when you talk about what is greatness, um, you know different people would have a different uh, perspective, different view uh, on what is greatness. and uh, it depends on who you would ask. In fact, um, there are lists out there of the greatest, all kinds of things: the greatest car, the greatest movies, the greatest song of all time. there's all kinds of things out there that would refer to the greatest. Um, if you ask Billboard magazine who's the greatest song, uh, they, they list uh, The Twist by Chubby Checker. Does anybody know that song? Okay, that's old school right there, okay? Um, if you ask uh, Rolling Stone magazine, they would say uh, the greatest song is imagined by John Lennon. Um, if you wanna know what's the greatest movie, again, it depends on who you, who you ask. If you ask The Hollywood Reporter, Uh, The Hollywood Reporter would say the greatest movie of all time is The Godfather. If you ask the American Film Institute, they would tell you the greatest movie was Citizen Kane. If you wanted to know who the greatest athlete of all time was, Bleacher Report would tell you that's Michael Jordan. And if you wanted to ask ESPN, they would tell you that's the running back Jim Brown. So there's these lists of greatness. If you wanted to know the greatest car, Edmunds.com says it's a 1932 Ford because it pushed technology ahead and made it available for everyone, which was profound. But if you ask CBS, they would say it's the Bugatti Veyron, which is the greatest car. So it depends on who you're asking on what really is the greatest in any category. What is the greatest? Um, But if we really want to know what greatness is, because we want to step into greatness, we would have to actually ask the greatest one, wouldn't we? We would have to ask the greatest one, what is greatness? greatness to begin with so we know what we're really aiming at. And the greatest person according to Ranker.com, which ranks the top 10 and 20 and 100 of everything, um, lists the greatest person of all time being Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And I would agree. Can I get a witness in this room? Anybody else agree? Now here's the deal. You can't even put them on the same category as anybody else. You can't. In fact, You have your birthday based on his birthday. Everyone on the planet has been dating everything for the last 2,000 years based on his birthday. Your birthday is based on his birthday. He has altered history like nobody else. Jesus Christ is clearly, undeniably the greatest one who uh, ever lived. In fact, um, Alexander says this, Alexander, uh, excuse me, Napoleon said this about Jesus. He was asked, who's the greatest person who ever lived? And Napoleon was a ruler and he's conquering the world. And people thought maybe he would refer to himself. But this is what he said. He said, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this very hour, millions of people would be willing to die for him. Wow, to live for him. He's, how many of you know Jesus isn't asking you to die for him, he's asking you to live for him, to live for him. But, but he was saying that right now at this very minute, millions would just rise up to live and die for you, the greatest one who ever lived. So we want to know what greatness is by definition. We have to ask the greatest one, which is undeniably um, Jesus. And so when I was putting this together, um, you know, I was really praying over this and I really felt the Lord saying to talk to you guys about this topic and, and camp out here. So just praying, seeking God on substance and what he wanted to share. Um, and one of the first things I did is I flipped to my concordance. I wanted to find scriptures on greatness uh, according to um, the Bible and uh, and, and what Jesus says about greatness. Now, here's, here's one thing that Jesus says, and we're going to look into here. Jesus equates, this might surprise some of you, but but the world has a completely different view of greatness. If you were to ask people in the world, what is greatness and what does it take, you're going to hear a lot of different reasons or, or, or uh, principles or aims or aspirations on what greatness is and how to uh, attain greatness. But, but Jesus um, says greatness has to do with serving. Serving. And you're thinking, wait a second, greatness is usually having a bunch of people serve you, you would think. I mean, that's what the world would say. Greatness is aspiring to be this or that, or you hit this place where you win Grammys or Oscars or you strike it, you know, rich with some invention or something. The world would usually say, the people who build these great things or do these great things or start these great companies or start some kind of legacy, the world would look at greatness in a different realm. They would see a lot of people serving the one who aspired to greatness, but Jesus has a fundamentally different view, and we're going to look at that today. But when I looked up uh, the word servant in, in, in the Bible, because serving has a, a lot to do with greatness in the lens of, of God, um, what's interesting to me, and it kind of just jumped right out at me the word right before servant is serpent. Serpent. Of course, serpent is symbolic of the devil. We know that from the beginning in the, in the Garden, you know, he's Adam and Eve, you know, he's coming around. So the, the devil is symbolic of the serpent and is equated to such throughout Scripture. But the point is, the word servant is right next to the word serpent. And I thought, wow, how ironic is that? Because how many of you know the devil was a fallen angel? You guys know the, the devil's a fallen angel. The devil was a servant, Angels are messengers. They're tasked with assignments. That's what his role. That's what his job was. That's what he's made for. And not only did the devil fall from his realm and reject everything that God wanted them to do in this realm of being a servant and a messenger of God, the devil not only did this. Think about the paradox. Again, the word servant and the word serpent are right next to each other. But there is a great divide, a massive divide between these two words. It couldn't get any further apart. Um, The serpent... Not only is he a fallen servant, a fallen messenger of God, that's what an angel is, but he was not happy falling alone. Think about this. He was not happy falling alone. In fact, he was so relentless in his rebellion that he not just fell and, and, and stopped being a servant of God, messenger of God. He was relentless to the point where he took one third of the angels with him. Everyone say a third. One out of three. He's like, if I'm fallen I want you guys to fall with me. And the devil was relentless with pulling however he could, whatever influence he had, whatever platform he had in some kind of way. The Bible is silent on the details, so I can't elaborate on exactly what went down or how. It just said pride was found in him, and he was cast down. But there were a third that he must have been trying to attract over to his way, saying, don't be a servant of God, let's serve ourselves. Let's be self-serving instead of God-serving. and How to do something with this paradigm, something with the tension between serving God and honoring God and breaking away and being self-serving. Uh, the name for the devil is Lucifer, which means light bearer. So he had this place in heaven where God is here and somehow he was able to reflect God's glory and po- supposed to be pointing it back to him. But, but somehow it seems when you look at the Old Testament passages on the fall, he, he seemed to say, well, look at me, I'm kind of shiny, aren't I? I'm pretty shiny after all. And started to take the attention to himself. Instead of serving God, he started to become self-serving. And this was the beginning of his demise. But again, he wasn't happy with just himself falling. He wanted to take a third of the angels with him, and he did. And that's a profound paradox, because when I looked at these two words in the concordance, I'm like, my goodness, in the English language, they're right next to each other. Serpent and servant, of course they are. But they could not be further apart than any probably couple of words in the Bible that come back to back. I don't know of other two words in the concordance that are this far from each other. And so the devil by nature does this. And I would suggest to you, if you want to know how to step into greatness... And I hope you want to step into greatness. I hope you and I want to aspire to greatness through the eyes of God. God, what would you say is greatness? According to you, not according to humanity. Everyone's got their own. You tell me what is greatness because I want to aim at greatness the way you see greatness. And if that's you, and if that's you, I would encourage you to write down a couple of notes today. And here's our first one. Our first one is this. We have to break out of the serpent's realm uh, to break into the servant's realm. We have to break out of the serpent's realm into the servant's realm. Why? Because they're completely different realms. The the, the realm of the serpent, the fallen one, is to not only serve God, but take others with him. He took a third of the angels from day one, okay? The devil is relentless with, with taking servants away from the service of the living God, serving God and serving others. Relentless. He did it in the beginning. It's his nature. He's been doing it ever since. That's what he does. He goes around like a roaring lion seeking to devour whom he may. He wants to pull away by his nature. And so that's what he did in the beginning. And a lot of people unknowingly live in a very self-serving realm. Life to many is self-serving. Maybe even having a belief system as a Christian that I believe God is real and I believe his son came. Very cool. But the the, the worldview is still often self-serving. And that self-serving view we're going to see today, we're going to unpack it through the words of Jesus, that's not greatness. Greatness is breaking out of the serpent's realm and into the servant's realm. Again, the words are very close, but they couldn't be further apart in purpose and mission and aim and greatness. They're completely uh, polarizing. They're opposite of each other. Um, And the devil, in fact, wants us to be self-serving. He wants us to be self-serving. And when Judas was tempted, it's like, look at all this cool stuff you can have. And Judas is like, wow, that would be really cool for me, wouldn't it? Bad for Jesus, good for me. You know? And he thought, sure, I'll, I'll step into this thing, this self-serving thing, being tempted with being self-serving. So the, another thing I want to look at today, we're going to look at a few passages. If you guys return to Luke chapter 4, uh, and we're going to put them on the screen, we're going to look at how this is displayed in Scripture, uh, this premise of the two different realms and it takes literally breaking out of one into another one. It's not just a gradual drift or, you know, I woke up one day feeling a little different. No, it's really going wait a second. Who am I? What am I made for? In fact, not only who am I, but whose am I? And if I belong to him, then I'm not even my own. If I'm really a, if I'm really a follower of Jesus, I got to break out of this and, and, and step into the servant's realm. So the first encounter that we see in Scripture That Jesus had with Satan was literally when Jesus began to step in and serve God. Everyone say serve God. That's where it began. He he began the official time. 30 years old, the Bible tells us, is about this time where he started to just step into. And the second he tried stepping in, the devil's like, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. The very second... He be stepped into serving officially, officially at 30 years old from 30 to 33 AD, give or take. Jesus started this public ministry. And this is where the devil's like, wait a second, and ram right into the situation immediately. Um, and he, uh, Jesus was tested in the wilderness. Um, and the devil tempts this way. He tests us and tempts us when we are weak. Jesus is out there. He's fasting for 40 days. He is... Strong in the spirit, but very weak in the flesh. If, if you hadn't eaten for 40 days, you would be weary too, and you'd be probably pretty desperate, and the enemy goes, perfect timing. Let me get him now. The, the devil will do the same thing in our lives. When we are weak, when we are down, when we are tired, when we are hungry, maybe we're feeling lonely. Whatever these times are, the devil's like, aha, perfect time. And he starts to move in. He did it exactly on uh, Jesus And he uses the same strategy today. But let's read this. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. I want to focus on this portion of the scripture because it's very revealing. Um, The devil says, it says this in verse 5. The devil led Jesus up to a high place. "The, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I could give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Serve him only. So the devil shows Jesus these amazing things. And if you and I were brought up on this thing and showed, we'd be like, I mean, it's like a 4K movie in surround sound. You're looking at all the wonders of the world. You're like, oh my goodness, look at all that cool stuff. And it's very cool stuff. And the devil is laying this stuff out in front of Jesus, trying to convince Jesus of what is greatness. And saying, Jesus, this is greatness. This is what you want. There's nothing better than this, and you know you want it. And I can give it to you. I'm laying it all in front of you. All you have to do is worship me. And Jesus is like, you know what? That is not greatness. That is not greatness. And here we see the paradox already. Well, it's the wonders of the world. Everybody would do jumping jacks over having some of that cool, shiny stuff. And Jesus is like, yeah, but that's not greatness. Greatness. He says, you want to know what greatness is? Greatness is worship and serve the Lord, Jesus says. That stuff you just showed me isn't greatness. Greatness. And he told the devil, that's not greatness, Satan. What is greatness is worship and serve the Lord. This is the pathway to greatness, not all that self-serving, shiny stuff. And this is a breakout. This is a paradox. This is a paradigm shift because most of the world looks at cool, shiny stuff as a cool reward. And it's okay to have stuff in life. Stuff is not evil. It's not what you have in life. It's where it's at that matters. Amen? It's where it's at that matters. Nice stuff's not a problem. There's people in the Bible who had nice stuff. Nice stuff. It's not what you have, it's where it's at. If we're aiming and coveting at things because it's nice, and then guess what? We took God off the throne and we put stuff up there. Money's not the root of all evil, but l- the love of it is. And this is what happens in life. Some people start to aim at stuff and go after what they think is greatness. And, and it happens all the time. And it can even happen in the church to believers. And, you know, the devil was trying it with Jesus and saying, listen, that is not greatness. So, so here's our second point this morning. And Jesus is saying it right here because... The enemy's trying to show him everything great that he would possibly want. Everything that he would want to go for in life is right here on a silver platter right in front of you, Jesus. And all you got to do is worship me to have it. And, and Jesus is laying out with greatness. Step number two is we can only achieve greatness by serving. By serving. And we're going to build on that and you're going to see why in a minute. Did some of this... Some of you might say, yes, I already know that and I already see that. But some of you are like, I'm not really sure about this. You're going to see the scripture build on this theme and just how monumental this is as the pathway to greatness. There is no other pathway to greatness, at least through the lens of God, uh, being everything that God made you to be, uh, walking out the fullness, living the abundant life. I'm telling you, it's the realm of, of, of servanthood and serving and Jesus builds on it. Um, so the, Jesus isn't just saying we just believe in God. Uh, he's, saying, uh, he's saying in this passage, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Jesus puts this together. If you love God and you say you do, well, then worship and serve him. This is what he's kind of saying. In Scripture, Bill, it's not just one time. This comes up repetitively in Scripture about serving God, being tied to our belief. Now today, that seems like a completely optional thing. No, I love God, but I do my own thing and I do my own life. Serving is optional, it's for other people and I'm busier than most, so I can't really get involved in that right now in this season of my life. And that's usually the way people look at serving. But I would tell you 2,000 years of historic Christianity, even in the Old Testament, ties belief in God to worship and serving, literally serving um, God. In fact, um, Ask yourself that question, Lord, am I in the camp of believing or am I a believing person who worships and serves you? I mean, is that what I'm doing? Because if not, I'm missing out on that and you got my attention. And if you are, then that's absolutely wonderful. This should hopefully reinforce um, what you already know. Um, so Deuteronomy eleven three 3 says this, 13, you don't have to turn there, but it says this, love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and soul. Love the Lord your God and serve him, serve him with all your heart and soul. Jesus is saying this stuff. It's written by Moses in the Old Testament. The context of anyone who believes in the God of the Bible, the concept, the the hope, the premise, the understanding, is that our love for him also includes serving him with our heart. It's not this optional little side Thing. It's not like when you get this entree and it's like a little side thing. You can get a little side dish, you know, like, yeah, I keep that off my plate. It's like a garnish or something you don't really want. No, this is like part of the main event. Serving God is part of our pathway to greatness. It's really, really important. And then so the, the next one we look at, it's in Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 10, if you want to turn there. Um, this, is, this is pretty cool. Now, the, the disciples, uh, Jesus is showing them things about greatness. And for some reason, they're not getting it yet they still have their own view of what is greatness. And again, this can happen in our lives. We can believe in God, we can read the Bible, but still have our own view of greatness. That's going on with the disciples. So the disciples have their own view of greatness and Jesus is like, wow, okay, let me, let me help these guys out here. So what happens in Matthew chapter 10, we're gonna read it in just a second, but you have two brothers, James and John, and they figured out they figured out how to be great. They were working on this for a while. They came up with a plan, and we go, this is it. This will be epic, monumental. This will be great. Greatness is, to us, James and John, greatness will be having permanent box seats with Jesus in eternity forever. That couldn't get any cooler. Like, Jesus is here, and we're, like, right next to him. Like, we're, like, selfies, bros, me, us and Jesus. Like, this is it. This is the picture. This is greatness. This is going to be great. So they strategize, and they position themselves, and they plan on, and they begin to communicate their pathway, what they think is stepping into uh, greatness. And I don't know why it is, but it seems like, as humans, we have this kind of idea that somehow getting close to greatness might like rub off on us, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like uh, if LeBron James is sitting there and I could sit next to him, like I'm supposed to be a better basketball player, you know, because I'm sitting next to LeBron. Or if, if Eric Clapton is sitting there, I can sit next to him and I'm gonna get his guitar skills somehow are gonna like wash off on me or something. Um, it could be like sitting next to Bill Gates, you know, um, and, and thinking, wow, I'm gonna get all these business ideas. It's gonna like rub off, his greatness will rub off on me and, and, and the disciples are thinking the same way. We get close to Jesus, and we're going to have these epic box seats in eternity, and this will be cool. Everybody will go, wow, you guys really are great. And so um, they, they got this idea, but Jesus needs to sit them down and explain to them what is true greatness because, again, they're following Jesus, and they're still off. They're still off about greatness. Uh, it says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 45. So Jesus called them to him and said, As you know, the kings and great men of the earth lorded over the people. But among you, it is different. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be greatest of all must be the slave of all. For even I, the Messiah, am not here to be served, but to help others and to give my life for a ransom for many. This is profound. Um, Jesus says for us, Christ followers, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, I trust you are because we came to God's house and we're exploring, God, what do you have for me? Show me some things. Give me some encouragement. Give me direction. Give me fire for my soul and give me uh, the power to love and to live my life and the times we're living in to be effective. That's why we come to God's house to worship, to rally together and to grow together. But Jesus is saying, listen, greatness for my followers, quote unquote, it's different. It's different. Everyone say different. Great. Listen, you've got to know this. Greatness is different for you than it is for people in the world. It is, and we can't forget that. Um, sadly, I've seen people in the church pursuing greatness and then all of a sudden going, oh, wait, maybe that's great. And pretty soon, you're like, what happened? Uh, their idea of greatness changed, or they forgot what true greatness was, and they start walking down a path, and you're like, oh, no, what's going on over there? And so greatness, Jesus is saying, first of all, to two disciples who walked very close with him. Two disciples who got in on a lot of the cool, miraculous things. Jesus sits down with these guys and says, Guys, greatness is different for you. For us followers, it's different. It's not the same as it is for the world. So you've got to be very careful how you and I measure. We have to be careful how we measure greatness. Um, Jesus is saying, hey, follow my example. You want to know what greatness is? Follow my example. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve God. Uh, others. I didn't come to be a self-serving person and show you greatness that way because greatness cannot be obtained that way. Follow my example, he's the greatest one. Follow my example and I will show you greatness, but it's not the way the world sees it. It's by serving others. And so this is the definition of true greatness this is our third point this morning. The greatest of all is the servant of all. The greatest of all is the servant of all again, you can't look at a statement of Jesus like that and just stick it in a category somewhere and go, yeah, that, that one doesn't apply to me. I got my own greatness. I believe in you, God, but I got my own greatness, and my own greatness is going to be this. I'm going after this. I'm going to get that. I'm going to acquire. I'm going to achieve. I'm going to get this. People will know my name or know who I am, and I will... Mm, none of that's greatness. God may put you in a place and elevate you, and people may know your name. But listen, if we humble ourselves in his sight, he will lift us up. Amen. We can't be self-serving and self-promoting and self-ambition. It doesn't mean you don't have goals and aspirations in life. It just means they're tempered in the ways of God. They're not leading. The ways of God are leading. And he's given us a godly ambition. And we 're pursuing these things, and if he raises you up in this process and blesses you with all kinds of things, well good, you still point to him. People go, "Wow, look at you, just like hey, Amen, God did this." But the point is, uh, it, we can 't aim at being self-serving as so many do, because that seems to be the pathway to greatness as far as me- the way many see it. But the greatest of all is, in fact, the service of all the, the servant of all. And Jesus modeled it for us. He showed us this. He showed us again and again in Scripture. You look at Jesus. And you're like, wow, he's remarkable. He's God's son. He's got the power to calm seas and raise the dead. And yet he is so humble and so um, gentle. And he's so um, obviously the ultimate servant. And, and, And he also tells them, guys, as you've seen me do, you do also. As you've seen me model this stuff, I want you guys to do this stuff also. Here's an interesting thing. Um, and this might help you to, again, this t- word serve, you know, I was like, that doesn't sound like a fun word today, Pastor B. I don't really like hearing the word serve. I wanted something else today, not serve. Um, here's something about serving that you might, f- help, might help you look at the word differently and what God's calling us to do with this word serve. When we think of the word serve, we typically look at serving as a job. It's a task. It's a duty. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Like roll up a cord? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to like... Um, help with putting out chairs or something like, what, what, what's the job I have to do? This is why we look at serving. And that's part of the fundamental problem with serving because the Bible is not looking at serving that way. The Bible's not looking at serving like who rolled up the cord or put the chair out, okay? That's this like minutia level. It's, it's one view of it. But in the Bible, that's not the way it's using the word. The, the, the word in Greek uh, for serving is this Greek word, letruo, And this word actually comes from a different context. It means... Listen, it means to serve as an act of worship. Everyone say as an act of worship. That's totally different. Rolling up the cords, rolling up the cord. Putting out the chair is putting out the chair. But listen, rolling up the cord is an act of worship? Like, really, God? Putting out the chair is an act of worship? What does that even mean? Do we, do we have a category for that? Because the Bible does. This is the category of the Bible. This is the category of the Bible. There isn't another category. So if we're thinking if it's like just that thing and they ask me to do some job or some task, I don't know what I'm supposed to. That, that's just the minutia level of just the task. We're thinking on the lowest base level. But the word of God is not using it this way. And it comes up again and again and again and again. You can look up this word and see all the times it's used in scriptures. And nine times out of ten... The word serve is being used as a serve in the context to a believer, serve as as an act of worship. So God, what I am doing, I'm not doing it to make somebody happy, I'm doing it unto you. Does that make sense? What I'm doing is for your glory, it's for your honor. And, And God's like, I know, I see that. God's like, I see what you're doing and I see that you're serving me by serving others and God is smiling on that, literally smiling on that. And that's important to know, because sometimes you think you do a job, you know, you, you do a little thing here, and maybe nobody notices, and what's the point? I'm just doing this job because somebody asked me to do it. And then again, that's completely missing the mark entirely. What this is about is doing what we do, what God calls us into, the greatest of all is a servant of all, and what we do is literally an act of worship where God is like, that's pleasing to me. God is smiling on you and I when we step into these things. It's pleasing. Um, So this is really important. So this, this act of worship, guys, we don't serve to get anywhere in life. We don't earn our way to heaven. We don't do steps and work our way there. But you have to know, if you're a follower of Christ and he already gave you heaven, well, guess what? Our serving is in response, amen? It's in response to what we've already been given. It's a response to grace. Serving God is a response to grace. If you've received grace, then that should be the natural response. And if we don't serve or don't want to, we should really check how we come to terms with the grace that's been given to us. How we really come to terms with the magnitude of the gift of grace that's been given to us by Jesus. And if we have, serving is the natural outflow. Follow me as I follow Christ. What do you do? Jesus said, as you've seen me do, you do also. Okay, and so this is important. So our fourth point this morning is this, guys. We don't serve to get to heaven. We serve in response to heaven. We don't serve to get to heaven. We can't serve. We're not saved by works, right? Saved by grace, a free gift. But we do serve as a response to heaven. Heaven's this free gift. Not just heaven when you get there, but forgiveness now, new beginnings right now, life in the Holy Spirit right now, all the gracious things that God does here and now. Not just heaven when you get there. Our response to this, to new beginnings, fresh starts, Revelation, insight, perspective, change, worldview, everything God bestows on us. that's the game changer. Our response to heaven and everything that comes with it, is to serve. That's really, really important. Um, I love this scripture here. It's at um, a Hebrews 12:28 New American Standard says it this way. And this is something I, I, my prayer again is that we just look at it differently. We look at this differently um, because it is different. Um, it says this in Hebrews 12:28, "Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. This is exactly building on the last point. We don't serve to get to heaven. We serve in response to heaven. And this is telling us in Hebrews that since we're receiving the kingdom of God, which is given to us as a free gift, since we're receiving this gift, which cannot be shaken, if you've said yes to Jesus, you've taken away your sins, turn and follow, guess what? Heaven cannot be shaken away from you. Your life can't get rattled or shaken. Heaven's not coming away from you. It's a gift. And since you have this unshakable reality, he's saying, then, then, then. Let us show gratitude as a result of this amazing gift and let's do it this way. Very specifically, how do I show gratitude, God? By saying, you're awesome, God, thank you. Show it this way, the Bible says. We may offer God, listen, an acceptable service. Everyone say an acceptable service. An acceptable service with reverence and awe, which goes, what? And we should ask ourselves this. What is acceptable service? The way it's saying it's like maybe... Some service isn't acceptable. You know how the Bible talks about, oh, let me just give you one example. When it comes to giving, for an example, the Bible says, don't give reluctantly. God loves a cheerful giver. So if someone's giving reluctantly, like, I don't want to, God's like, nope, 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 no, no, stop. That's not acceptable to me. Keep it, just keep it. Really? Yeah, if you're angry or upset, or, just, just keep it. That's not an, does that make sense? It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. It's begrudging. It's got issues. It's got attitude attached to it, whatever. It's okay. I'm not ready for that. Just don't, don't. I, I want to cheer people, right? Because God's looking at the heart. Service is the same thing. I got to roll up this cord over here. What do I got to do? They want me to do something. Uh, you know, whatever it might be in the kingdom of God. I got to help this lady across the street. I don't have time for this. Whatever it might be, God's like, hold on, hold on. That's not acceptable. That's not acceptable worship to me. I want to smile on what you're doing. I want to go, look, that's my boy. That's my girl right there. Come on, do it. This is awesome. This is the kingdom. This is what it's about. This is what he wants to do when it's acceptable worship. He's like, yes, yes, yes. That's what it's about. But if we're begrudging, if we're reluctant, if we got this chip on our shoulder, what am I supposed to do? Then we're missing the whole context of our response to heaven. This is saying since we're receiving an unshakable kingdom show gratitude by this is how this is how you show gratitude by acceptable servants service acceptable service you know and again some translations once in a while will put that word service for worship they'll put the word worship but if you look at the greek the context isn't when we think of worship we think we come and we sing a couple songs Hey, we worshiped today. We sang some songs. Cool. The Bible's like, no, 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 no. The, the word is actually serving God with the context of God smiling on it as an act of worship. And it's important to look at it that way. Otherwise, we think it's, like, it's just like I sang God a song. Everything's cool this week. I sang a song to God. I'm, I did my acceptable worship. It's like, no, that's not the context. The context is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle in response to heaven. It's a lifestyle in response to everything he's done for us. And this lifestyle includes, includes, by definition, acceptable worship. And that's important. It's profound. And I hope and pray today it's a game changer for us, the way we even look at this, because Jesus says, this is what greatness is. This is what greatness is. And if you don't have this slice of greatness in your life, I would encourage you to start aiming at it. I'd encourage you to start putting it in your life, not as a checklist thing you've got to do, but a heart condition in response to heaven. Because Jesus said, the greatest of all is the servant of all, and do as you've seen me do. So this, this thing is stitched through scripture, even from Deuteronomy. Love the Lord and serve him with all your heart. The devil's like, here's all the greatness. And Jesus is like, no, it isn't. Love and serve the Lord. That's greatness. And so we're hearing this again and again and again and again and again, and it's stitched through scripture. But sometimes we just gloss over that, and that's for people who have a little more time on their hands. Those who can volunteer—that's for the people who have. I work overtime; I can't do that. But those people can do that. They can, people who can, who can volunteer, and you know, I'm busy or things are—it's like, guys, that's so inconsequential. That's so irrelevant to the calling of greatness. Does that make sense? That stuff, just you know, it, it, it's so important. So, um, and this is why, this is why the Apostle Paul was shook a little bit in the early church. Excuse me, um, not the Apostle Paul. This would be James. James was shook a little bit in the early church over this thing of everyone's like, oh, I love God, and I worship, and, I, you know, God, me and God, we're tight, you know, me and Jesus. And, and, and he's like, so what are you doing in response to heaven? Oh, nothing. I don't do anything in response to heaven. But I got a ton of faith, but I don't do anything in response to heaven. And James like, you know what? That doesn't even make sense to me. It doesn't. It doesn't make no sense. He's like, what kind of Christianity is that? And people were like, well, it's my kind. You know, it's like me and God, we're tight and we're good and everything's good. And and I got a ton of faith. And he's like, where is your service? Can you, is there any service in your life? People are like, no, no service in my life. And and James is a little bit tweaked on this because he's like, He's a leader in the church and he's like, but what kind of faith is that? Like, what are you describing when you've got this faith and there's no service connected, there's no work to it, there's no motion, there's no movement, there's no, it doesn't look like anything is happening on any level. So it's just this internal faith in your head and your heart somewhere, but there's zero display of it. He's like, I don't even get what kind of Christianity that is. And so this is what, um, you know, he says, um, he, he says, faith without works is dead. That, that's harsh, isn't it? It's like, he's going, what kind of faith even is that? And people are like, well, it's my kind. Leave it alone. <laughs> it's the way I like to do faith, you know? Um, and he's like, no, guys, that's not real faith at all because faith by definition moves. Faith by definition has feet. Faith by definition has motion. There's something happening with faith. Faith parked in a corner, you can say it's faith all day long. It's not faith until it's tested. It's not faith until it's put to work. It's not faith until it's put into service, right? That's when faith moves and functions and operates. That's faith on display. But faith tucked away in a little corner in a box anywhere. We could say whatever we want about how much faith we have tucked away. But when faith gets mobilized, people are like, whoa, that's faith. And that's the act of worship that God smiles on going, look at my son or daughter. They're moving in faith to what I've said. And this becomes this act of worship where God is like a fragrant aroma. This is beautiful. My kids are on display. Look what they're doing. My kids, my children are stepping into greatness. This is awesome. They stopped being self-serving. They're being God-serving. And others said, this is beautiful, beautiful. And there's a whole family of believers stepping into greatness. It's amazing. But, but again, James in the church Saw some, they're like, no, that's not me, that's not my style, I'm too busy for that. And he's like, I don't know what kind of faith it is, but faith without works is dead. Now, in the Gospel of John, Jesus models uh, this servant heart, again, just so amazing. He does it so many times in scriptures, but I want to share this one with you in John chapter 13. Uh, They're in the middle of a meal, and it's the Last Supper. And Jesus, obviously, is the guest of honor. So he's the great one. He's the one that's sitting in the middle. Everyone's around him. He's kind of the great one, but he he doesn't look at it that way. Jesus gets up from the meal. It's the middle of the meal, and he takes off his nice robe and puts on a little servant towel around his waist, and then he drops to his knees, and he starts taking people's sandals off, smelly feet, walking the streets of Jerusalem, and and he's down there just washing their feet, and they're like, oh, I can't even believe he's doing this. How would you feel if you're at a meal? Jesus gets up and walks right over to you, to you and takes your shoes off and starts washing your smelly feet. No, you don't have smelly feet. Maybe only I do. Um, Washing your feet, washing your feet in the middle of the meal, and everyone's watching going, no. Is Jesus doing that right now? He's doing it to you. And how does that make you feel? I mean, what, what category do you have for that? That's like, I can't even believe he's doing this. Jesus is like, and, and, every, and you know, Peter's going, stop, don't do this. You, you know, I, I'm not going to let you, you know, because I'm tough and I can't let you wash my feet. Jesus, never. And, and Jesus has to school him and says, listen, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And Peter says, of course, then go ahead, Lord. But the point is, everyone else in the room is like, what is happening right now? The guest of honor at the table at the last meal, who's raising the dead and common disease, gets up from the table and came over to my feet, my feet, and took my shoes off. And started washing my feet. I don't even have a category for this. And Jesus is saying, I'm showing you something important. They're all surprised. But Jesus is like, listen, guys, before I go to the cross, let me tell you about greatness. Let me explain to you about greatness. Greatness is not what you thought it was. Greatness is this. And this is what he says in John 13, 25. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Specifically, the context is serving right here. Specifically. The context of do what I have done is in serving. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, which things, Jesus, are you talking about? Context is key. Context always matters. This is in context, 100% in context here. What things the thing I just did, I just got up from the meal and I, and I remarkably washed your feet and you had no headspace or category for it because I'm showing you what greatness is. Now that I've shown you these things specifically, um, you will be blessed. Everyone say blessed. You will be blessed if you do what I've shown you. Now this is another a, a profound reality. It's our last, fifth point this morning. Uh, Jesus says you will be blessed to serve, blessed to serve. Now, that's something that some of you maybe have experienced, and maybe some of you haven't experienced. Um, but I will tell you when, you, when you serve the Lord, and we serve the Lord by serving others, um, when we serve the Lord, the Lord smiles on your act of worship. The Lord smiles on your, um, your sacrifice. The Lord smiles on your service. Again, the word is that word of service that is a an act of worship. And when you serve God, he smiles on you and he also blesses you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've seen God's reward. I've seen God's rewards and blessings in my life. I didn't do anything for the reward of the blessing. I did it as a response to heaven and everything he's done for me, right? He loved me first. I'm just trying to love him back. Anybody else in the room, right? I'm just trying to love him back, right? And in response to heaven, I'm, I'm just trying to love him back. I'm, I'm just trying to take his word at face value. If you, if you love me, then do what you've seen me do, okay. And, and specifically in the context of serving and the, the pathway to greatness is serving. The servant of all is the greatest of all. Okay, I'm gonna follow your lead on this, Jesus. But I have seen the Lord move in our lives and our family and do some blessings in certain areas. And I'm like, only God could have done that. There's no other way this could have happened. Only God could could have done it. So the point is, God does in fact bless and reward. The Bible says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the rewards of God and the blessings of God come in the way and the style that God sees fit. They don't always come in the way and the style that we expect, but they are in fact blessings and rewards. And the Bible says, in Jesus' last words before the cross, are what you've just seen me do to serve, to to get out of your zone, do something a little uncomfortable, which getting up on a meal and tying on a thing and hitting your knees and washing feet is a little out of the zone. And by the way, he's probably not asking anyone in the room to actually wash feet. That's the, is that the good news? Is that the good news? Um, he might, but probably not. Uh, But but he's got got things for you to do. He's got things for you to step into. He's got these works of service created from the foundations of the world, the Bible says, for us to step into. But we'll only do it when we step out of the realm of the serpent. And Not that we think we're in the devil's realm, but we're in a worldly realm when we're self-serving. We're just in in a worldly realm. When we step out of that realm into the realm of Jesus, the greatest of all, the servant of all, it's like, oh, it's different over here. It's different over here, and then we trust God, and he leads us to places, and he sustains us in the process, and so great things happen, guys. My life has changed dramatically through serving. I remember the very first time I served, they, uh, friends of mine asked me to um, go down to Skid Row, and they were feeding uh, the homeless down there, and I had a truck. I might have shared this with some of you guys before, but I had a truck, and they're like, oh, cool. Can you help us serve, and can you bring some, you know, these big Kool-Aid jugs, you know? And so I'd fill them up in the morning, these big, got don't know, 20-gallon jugs of, you know, Kool-Aid mix in my truck and some tables. And we'd go down there and it's like lives were changing. Lives were changing. And you just got to be there and be a bird's eye view. And if you're giving out a sandwich, you're giving it out in Jesus' name. And and, and some remarkable things started to happen. And I I just got to tell you, you leave there and you go home for the week and you're like, I'm just not the same anymore. Uh, uh, God's changing me. He's changing my perspective. Uh, He's just changing my worldview. And it happens through through serving and later on, prison ministry, I did prison ministry for many years and and, and I never thought you know if you asked me years ago what I'd be doing prison ministry, I, I wouldn't have said yes, but, but in following Jesus feeling the prompting of his spirit to step into these areas of serving, uh, prison ministry changed my life dramatically and then I was going into youth facilities and, and, and then a youth pastor, but along the way i, I you've got to say when it comes to serving you I don't know how to put this any clearer. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't say no to serving, family. Can I just be frank? Not frank, I'm Pastor B. But um, you can't listen. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot say no to serving. I mean, I I don't want to be the one to break it to you, but I got to go back to James and go, (laughs) I don't know what kind of faith that is. I don't know what kind of faith that is. Oh, today, everyone takes their persuasion and whatever they want to do. I'm saying historic Christianity of Christ followers, of disciples. I don't know what kind of Christianity that is. That's totally removed, removed from Orthodox Christianity, the family of believers. uh, Serving was who we are and what we do. It's part of our lifestyle. So if you're today in a category, I really want to encourage you to check your heart and go, Lord, what's stopping me from serving? except for I gotta sacrifice maybe some time and effort and energy and get uncomfortable. But what is stopping me? Because if that's what a believer does, if that's just who we are, then God, I wanna step into greatness. <laughs> I don't wanna be over here pursuing my own realm that when we get there, we, we started our series out in New Year's about the guy who said, I got great plans, I'm gonna build this and I've got so much grain, I'm gonna build more things to store my grain and I am so successful, a business is blowing up and I've got, life, I got it set. My retirement is dialed. And he, he, he built this building silos to put all his grain. He's like, this is cool. And, and he didn't even know. But how many of you know our days are numbered? The Bible says that. He didn't know his life was going to be required of him like the next week. He had no idea. But he thought that was going to be great. And he was going for greatness. Every bone in his body said that would be great. He even had friends high-fiving him, chest-bumping him, saying, that's great. And he's going after it. Until God's like, oh, I'm so sorry, that's not great at all. That's not great. This would have been great, but you were too busy with that to do this. And his life was right. Re- and it was just a shocking passage of like, what is greatness? What are we doing with greatness? Are we identifying greatness? Are we understanding what it is? And if we do, are we looking at the great one to see what he says about greatness? Are we stepping into greatness according to the great one? And if we are, wonderful. This is where it really begins. This is where you get to be part of God's solution on planet Earth. This is really, you know, God, God designed so much solution on this planet through his people. I know we pray and we want God to do all these things, and he still does. He provides and does, you know, he can move mountains. He can do all kinds of things. But he often mobilizes his people, the family of believers. He mobilizes people to step into the things he's calling us. And this is when the world starts to change around us in profound and beautiful ways. So I know if the worship team comes up, I want to close out in prayer uh, on this. But, but I, do, I do really feel, guys, that this is something that, uh, this isn't just a passing idea, a passing concept or a passing thought. This is this glaring reality. It's, it's, a, it's a major piece of God's kingdom that if you do love the Lord, if you do, Deuteronomy, then serve him with all your heart. Um, if uh, the devil wants you to be self-serving, Jesus is like, that's not greatness. Greatness is serve the Lord only. And so this thing it doesn't mean you don't have your job and your career and your aspirations, but but you have to check with God and say, "Lord, how can I engage with the work that you have? How what is my part in that? I don't know, but where do I start?" And you take your first step by faith. You don't take your first step by proof. You take it by faith. And when you take that step by faith, God will lead you in the next step and the next step. And it gets beautiful, guys. You're going to have some great stories to tell. You're gonna see lives change around you and you're gonna be stepping into greatness. You will never regret stepping into greatness. You will never regret it. And when you do, your service to the Lord is an act of worship and you're making him smile. So I wanna encourage that if the worship team comes up and we're gonna um, close in prayer right now. So mighty God, would you guys stand with me, please? Uh, Lord, we just come before you this morning, God. I just wanna pray for everyone in this room, Lord, all of us, all of us, that we would understand. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.